Hey, really glad that you're with us today. If you got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on, and go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. So I have two older sisters. I'm the baby in the family. And when we were kids, we fought like enemies. I mean, yelling and teasing and kicking and hitting. Everything went. Now, we did have one rule, actually. There was no hitting the face. See, we figured out that if it was below the neck, it was just bruises and mom and dad wouldn't find out. But if we hit in the face, then we were all going to be in trouble. We were horrible to each other. Maybe you have siblings and maybe you remember some days like that. My oldest sister and I, we would gang up on my other sister and we would lock her out of our bedrooms and we would play just these awful practical jokes to make her mad and to embarrass her. It just went around and around. In fact, it came back at me a couple of times. When I was really little, my sisters told me that I actually used to have another sister. And one time when we were camping, she misbehaved and so my parents sacrificed her in the campfire. And they told me that if I didn't behave, the same thing would happen to me. We were just awful to each other. And I remember my mom used to always say, you know, one day you kids are gonna be all grown up and you're gonna wish that you were nicer to one another. You're gonna wish that you'd have gotten along. And that's really the heart of a parent speaking, right? A parent wants their kids to get along, wants their kids to be nice to each other. My sisters and I each have three kids of our own now, and we don't want our kids to treat each other the way that we did. We want them to get along. That's the heart of a parent, that our kids would get along. So the Bible says that God is a parent. The Bible says that God is our heavenly father, that we are his children, and he is our heavenly father. And like any parent, God wants us to get along. God wants his kids to play well together. More than that, he wants his kids to love each other. And so it's not really much of a surprise then as we're journeying through the Ten Commandments, these ancient, famous laws in the Bible, it's not much of a surprise that the majority of God's commands are about how we treat each other. The first four are about how we treat God, how we interact with God, that we have a right relationship with him, but the next six commandments are really about how we treat one another because God is like a parent and he wants his kids to get along. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. How are the kids getting along? How are they treating each other? See, it's, it's kind of easy to love God. I mean, he's perfect, but how about his misbehaved, loudmouth, obnoxious kids. How are we treating each other? So let's jump into that and talk about how are God's kids interacting with each other. And we're gonna look to the 10 commandments. We're gonna look at the sixth commandment today. And it's very short. Here's what it says. Exodus 20 verse 13 says, you shall not murder. And God just jumps right into the deep end here in the pool. Four words, that's all we get. In Hebrew, it's only two words. It's just don't murder. And you hear that and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's pretty heavy, right? But then, I don't know, I kind of feel like it's also really obvious. Like, did God really need to say this, that we shouldn't murder each other? Doesn't it feel like we kind of already know this? In fact, as far as we know, every human civilization has had a law against murder. It's like it's written in our hearts that we should not murder each other. 
And that is the word here, murder. Some of your Bible translations might say, you shall not kill or do not kill, but the better translation is murder. God's not talking about self-defense or war. He's talking about taking of an innocent life. But I think about it and I go, if murder is wrong, and we know murder is wrong, why does God waste ink writing this commandment? Why isn't it just nine commandments? And we all pretty much know that we shouldn't murder each other. We already know that. Why does he have to tell us? Well, if you're a parent, have you ever had to tell your kids not to do something that you really shouldn't have to tell them not to do? You know, like, hey, hey, don't hit your sister. Hey, don't stick your tongue to that frozen flagpole. Hey, stop putting cocoa puffs up your nose. Hey, don't, don't stick a fork in the toaster. These are things like we shouldn't have to tell our kids, but we do, right? Why? Because most of us have a kid who will probably stick a fork in the toaster if we don't tell them not to. So why does God stop and tell us, do not murder? Well, I think it's because God knows that there are gonna be some days that we wanna kill each other. There are just gonna be some of those days where even the people closest to you, they betray you, they annoy you, they hurt you, and you're gonna wanna kill them. And it's almost like God is putting his finger on something here. He's, he's pushing on something that we can develop this anger inside of us, this passion inside of us, and it can come out sideways. And sometimes it might come out just in a comment. It might even be under your breath. You go, oh, I'm gonna kill that guy. Or maybe sometimes it actually does come out as violence. I mean, turn on the news. Murder and violence are, are real. And so while it might seem like, God shouldn't really have to tell us this. We all, we all know we shouldn't murder each other. Well, obviously he does have to tell us. Clearly he has to tell us because it's happening, right? And, and God is going, like a parent, he's going, look, I want my kids to get along. I want my kids to be nice to each other, to love each other. So murder, don't do that. And you know what's really cool? He actually tells us why. He's not just decreeing laws for, for no reason. He actually tells us why. Write down in your notes, Genesis 1, 27. It's all the way at the beginning of your Bible. And it explains why murder is of the highest offense. Here's what it says. This is at the beginning of creation. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. See, every human being is made to resemble God, made in the image of of God, your brothers and your sisters, your kids, your parents, even your in-laws, your coworkers, your roommates, your classmates, your friends, your barista, your bank teller, that person that is so annoying to you, even that person that hurt you so bad, made in the image of God. God is ascribing value here. God is saying that every human life has value because we're all made in the image of God. 
And so when it comes to murder, the thing about murder is it's not just attack or destruction on a life, it's attack and destruction on the image of God because we are all image bearers. You were made in the image of God. You were made to resemble dad. That's why murder is of the highest offense. That's why it's such a significant crime because it's, it's going after somebody who's made in the image of God. Remember what's going on in the world when God gives the Ten Commandments. He's speaking to the Israelites. The Israelites are coming out of Egypt, a country that condones slavery and a country where they've been slaves. And what slavery does is it strips away all human value, all human dignity. It reduces human value just to the level of a possession. That's where they've been, where they're going into the promised land is through a land called Canaan. And as they go and they see these Canaanites, they're going to see these awful human atrocities. Things like child sacrifice. The culture they've come from and the culture they're, they're moving towards place no value on a human life. But God is trying to show these Israelites that there is value in every single human life. From conception to death, each and every human being has value. Every person you meet made in the image of God. And murder and destruction are an attack on that image. And so to protect us and to protect his perfect image, God puts into the Ten Commandments this sixth commandment, you shall not murder. It's like the most basic of dads saying, I want my kids to get along. I want my kids to love one another. I want my kids to stop hurting each other because each and every one of you has value. Now, if we're honest, we can read that commandment and we go, okay, good, cool, got it, good, we're good. Don't, don't murder anybody, okay, got it, we're done, right? I suspect that most of you as you're hearing this go, well, I, I, you know, this doesn't apply to me, I haven't, I haven't killed anyone. And that's kind of what the Israelites did. They lived by the letter of this law. They held onto this and they said, all right, if we haven't murdered anybody, we've followed God's plan for our lives, we're good with God. What I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to jump to the New Testament. Flip over to Matthew chapter 5. Because Jesus is actually going to talk about this very commandment, you shall not murder. And Jesus has this way of, of, sorting, of sort of expanding, uh, not expanding, sort of explaining, elaborating What's behind this commandment? Because the people in the first century are like you and me, and they'll just go, oh yeah, well, I haven't killed anybody, so, so I'm fine. I haven't murdered anybody, so I'm, I'm good with God. But Jesus has this way of sort of peeling back and showing us what's God's heart behind this commandment? What's God really trying to, to get at? Is the bar really so low of like, hey, just, just, don't, just don't murder each other? I mean, as a parent, if you tell your kids, yeah, just don't kill each other, is that enough or do you want them to have more? Do you want them to have a deeper relationship? So Jesus kind of presses on this and tells us a little bit more about this commandment. You shall not murder. Listen, Jesus speaking, Matthew 5, verse 21. He says, so you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders 
will be subject to judgment. So there's our command, right? There's the sixth commandment. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, do not murder. Verse 22, he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. So he's going, it's, it's not just about literally murdering somebody. It's about hating them. It's about being angry with them. Well, that changes things. You ever been mad at somebody? You ever hated somebody? I mean, that's kind of what Jesus is going after here. It's not just physical murder. He's saying, hey, tell me, tell me what goes on in your heart when you think about that person who hurt you. Tell me about what goes on in your mind when you think about that ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend. Tell me about the bitterness that rises when you think about that boss that treated you so poorly. Anger? Hatred? Tell me about what you feel when you turn on cable news and that commentator, that political commentator is saying all kinds of things that you disagree with. Pretty strong reaction, right? Contempt, bitterness, hatred, anger. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. That It's not necessarily just whether you've actually murdered somebody. He's going, what's going on in your heart? I love the way the Apostle John talks about this. Let me just put this right here alongside what Jesus is saying. This is from Jesus' best friend, John. And he doesn't hold back. He just walks right into it. Listen to what he says, 1 John 3, 15. He says, anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. Ay, 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 we don't like that, right? Putting hatred and anger on the same level as murder? Wow. Back to Jesus in Matthew 5, he says, in verse 22, he continues, he says, Any, again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, raka, that means like idiot or moron, he says, you're answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Like, whoa, that escalated quickly. We were talking about murder. You thought you were all right because you're going, I haven't murdered anybody. And then Jesus switches gears and he goes, what about anger and bitterness and, and, and contempt and hatred and slander and gossip? And he says, when you hate in your heart, when you're angry in your heart, he says, it's the same, it has the same effect as murder. Oh. Now, is insulting someone the exact same thing as murder? Well, no, of course, it has different consequences. But what Jesus is doing is he's taking religion and he's turning it on its head. He's taking this, this idea of living by the letter of the law and he's turning it on its head and he goes, okay, you're not a murderer, fine. Tell me about your anger. Tell me about your contempt and your bitterness. Tell me the thoughts that you have about that person. Oh, oh come on, you know the one. The one that hurts you, the one 
that betrayed you. Tell me about how you've gossiped about them. Tell me what goes on in your mind and your heart when you're scrolling through Instagram and you see their posts and you just seethe. Tell me what goes on in your heart and your soul when you have to sit across from that person in a meeting and your blood boils. So you go back to the beginning. That person that you hate is made in the image of God. And every time you dismiss them and every time you have hatred for them and you call them an idiot and you gossip about them, you're talking about someone who's made in the image of God. And when it's a brother or sister in Christ, you're talking about someone who is a child of God, a son or daughter of the king. And dad's going, I'm not letting you treat one of my kids that way. Of course, the irony of, of all of it, Jesus says, is that anger and hatred actually destroys you. Not the person that you're angry at, not the person that you hate, it actually destroys you. So let's talk about this. Let me just ask you, are you angry? Are there some angry places in your heart? Some places of, of hatred? What's it doing to you? And please understand, there is such thing as righteous anger. There are things we should be angry about. I'm angry that we live in a world where there's human trafficking. I'm angry about systemic injustice. I'm angry that there are kids right here in my city that don't know where their next meal is gonna come from. I'm angry that we treat unborn children like, like garbage. There are things to be angry about. That is righteous anger. But there is a point where it takes control over us. There is a point where we, we start to see people different. It changes how we see people. A brother or sister in Christ, a son or daughter of God, we start to see them as an enemy. We start to hate them. We gossip about them. We slander them. This is what Jesus is talking about. And God, our perfect Father, doesn't want us burdened with that kind of anger and that kind of hatred. He doesn't want you walking around carrying that. And he doesn't want you destroying his image that is in every person that you meet. He doesn't want you tearing down his children. So are you living with anger in your heart and bitterness and hatred? Are you carrying it around? You wake up with it every morning, it's there. We'll come back to that. Because like we've done throughout this series, what I wanna do is not just talk about what God says not to do. I wanna talk about the positive. I wanna flip it and go, what is God calling us to? The 10 Commandments are not a series of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. God is calling us up to something. So what's he calling us to? What is it that we should be doing? And Jesus tells us right here in Matthew 5, verse 23. Listen, he says, therefore, right? He, go back. I don't want you to carry around anger. I don't want you to carry around hatred. It's the same as murder and it will destroy you. Verse 23 says, therefore, he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, 
and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go, first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So write this in your notes, write this down. The opposite of hatred and anger is love and forgiveness. Jesus is talking to this group of people from Galilee, and he mentions going to worship, and where they would have gone to worship is in Jerusalem. And he says, if you're there in Jerusalem, and you remember that you have some beef with somebody, there's something that stands between you and, and, and a friend, he says, leave whatever you're offering there. Leave your worship and, and go home and reconcile, and then come back. Go make it right, and then come back and worship. So understand a little bit of the story here. These people that he's talking to from Galilee, to go to Jerusalem to worship, they would have traveled 80 miles, on, of course, on foot. And Jesus is saying, if you're there worshiping and you remember that you have some conflict back home, leave what you're doing, go back home 80 miles, reconcile with a brother or a sister, and then come back. He's that serious about forgiveness and reconciliation and love that Jesus would say, leave what you're doing, walk home and back 160 miles on foot before you come back and worship. That's how serious Jesus is about love and reconciliation and forgiveness. And it lines up with so well with what we're reading in the Ten Commandments because God is, is saying, you can't be okay with me and be at odds with my children and treat them like scum. Parents, if someone came up to you and said, hey, hey, like we're, we're good, right? I mean, I hate your stinking kids. They are the most annoying kids on the planet. I can't stand them. But you and me, like we're good, right? No, of course not. You're not gonna talk about my kids and treat my kids that way. Same thing, God's going, look, if you wanna have a right relationship with me, you gotta work it out with each other. And that's the heart behind this commandment, do not murder. God's going, how are my children getting along? He wants his kids to get along. How are we loving each other? Because the opposite of anger and hatred and murder is love and forgiveness. So here's what I wanna do, just for a few minutes. I wanna walk into this mess. I wanna just walk into it, we'll do it together. We're gonna plow into this mess. And I say mess because love and forgiveness has to do with people and people are messy. Let's walk into this thing for just a few minutes together. And I wanna just challenge you with, with a couple of questions, a couple of things for you to chew on. And it's raw and it's stuff that you're gonna have to sit with and talk to God about. Let me give you two questions. The first one is this, do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to forgive someone? Because here's the deal, you, you've been hurt. I mean, you can pretend you haven't been, you can put on sort of a tough exterior, but you've been hurt. You have the scars, the scars to prove it, the scars in your mind, the scars on your heart, maybe the scars on your body to prove you've been hurt. And the person that caused those scars, that caused that pain, 
Maybe you hate them. Your father walked out on you. Your mother belittled you. Your friend stabbed you in the back. Your boyfriend abused you. Your boss lied to you. Oh, it happened. You have the scars to prove it. Your hurt is real and it hurts. That's, that's why we call hurt, hurt, because it, it hurts. Is it time to stop hating them? Is it time to, to forgive them? And for, forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. No, that's dumb, get out of here with that. Boundaries are important. It doesn't mean letting someone hurt you again. But is it time to say, yeah, you know what? You hurt me, you sinned against me, but I don't wanna see through that lens of hurt all the time. I don't wanna nail you to the wall every time I think of you anymore. I don't wanna curse every time I speak your name. I don't wanna bring up that offense, that hurt, every time we have an argument. I don't want to see through that lens anymore. I don't wanna be controlled by my scars anymore. I don't wanna see you in light of my hurt, in light of my pain, in light of my scars. See, when I think about this, I can't help but think about another guy who has scars. His name is Jesus, and he has scars right here on his wrist. They drove nails right there between the bones so that it wouldn't rip out when they nailed him to a cross, so that there was no escape. He was nailed to that cross, and he would die on it. And when he came back to life, this is so awesome. When he came back to life, the scars were still there because Jesus' death and his resurrection doesn't eliminate your scars. It doesn't mean that your pain isn't real. It doesn't heal all your scars, but it does start to heal our wounds. It does start to provide comfort. His death and his resurrection provide answers and peace and comfort to our wounds. He bandages us up and cares for us. I'm so glad that he carried those scars just like we do. And yet, he would forgive the very people who nailed him to the cross, and he would forgive us. And I wonder for you, if it's time, just like Jesus forgave you, if it's time to forgive that person who scarred you. Not because you're letting them off the hook, not because you're forgetting, but because you're not gonna carry that anger anymore. And because that person you hate, you hate them so much. But that person is made in the image of God. They are made with value. And if you're a Christ follower, you can't keep hating them. And I know it doesn't make a lot of sense and it doesn't square up in our minds and it doesn't match our emotions. But if we wanna have this right relationship with God, with dad, he's going, you can't hate my son or my daughter. And so maybe it's just out of obedience. Maybe you go, God, okay, I wanna forgive. I don't even know what that looks like. And so your first step is just talk to him and go, God, help me. I hate that person. Help me to forgive them. Maybe your step is, is to pick up the phone and call them and to, and to start to try and reconcile with them. 
Maybe they don't even want to reconcile with you. Maybe it's not possible for a whole number of reasons, but in your heart, can you start to forgive? I know the scars are painful. I know the scars are ugly and they're a reminder of your hurt. And I know that on your own, you can't forgive that person you hate, that person who hurts you. But with Jesus's help, you can. You can be done carrying around that anger and that bitterness. God's kids can get along. Second question, do you need to ask someone to forgive you? Oh, I know this is messy, I know. Jesus says if you remember that someone has something against you, go and reconcile and then come and worship me. Maybe it's time to speak those four most significant words, will you forgive me? There are no more powerful words, but oh my gosh, it takes a humble heart. But that's obedience. The opposite of do not murder is love and forgiveness, murder and anger and hate. And the, 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 the potential for reconciliation. But love and forgiveness open the doors, begin the process of reconciliation. And I say process because forgiveness is just that. It's a process. You can say today, I want to forgive, and you can wake up tomorrow, and you have to ask God to help you again because that bitterness is back, that bitterness that will try and control you, that anger that will try and take control of your life, it'll be back. It's just the journey we're on. Yet I imagine Jesus walking to the cross, not with anger and hatred in his heart, not with contempt and bitterness, but somehow with love and forgiveness in his eyes. And now he's calling us to love like that and to forgive like that, and it's not going to be easy. But Christ follower, you've been forgiven and you are loved. And God is calling you to give that same kind of forgiveness and that same kind of love. Let's not stop on you shall not murder but turn it to love and forgiveness and reconciliation. I wanna end this way. I just wanna ask you, wherever you are, sitting in your living room, dining room, wherever you are, if you're able, would you just close your eyes for a minute? And I wanna just read through a passage from 1 Corinthians. You've probably heard it. It's about love. It says this, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Love never fails. God, would you help us to be gentle with each other? Help us to forgive God the way that you do. God, where we've sinned, where we've hurt people, would you help us to be humble enough to ask them for forgiveness? It feels like such a big task. But God, with your help, 
we can do it. Thank you, Jesus, that you died to forgive us of our sins, that all we have to do is believe in your name and we will have that forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, that when you came back to life, you carried with you some scars. You're just like us in that you carried those scars. The pain is real, but in spite of those scars, there is hope and there is love and there is forgiveness. Give us the strength to forgive like you do. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen.